Well, I know there's people online that just tuned in. I want to welcome you. This is Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. I'm glad you're online. Uh, we're at 2810 High Paluxo Road, Lantana, Florida. If you're local, stop by every Thursday, 715, every Sunday at 10 a.m. And on Saturday morning, we have a men's Bible study that starts at 9 o'clock. So we'll be glad to have you if you stop in. Um, you, if you can go to our website, freedomchurchpb.org, freedomchurchpb, stands for palmbeach.org. You can check out who we are, what we believe in. You can even donate online. And you can listen to any sermons from, from years past. So, um, you know, check us out and, and come see us. I, I'll tell you one thing. If you love Jesus, this should be your church because we love Jesus here. We love him with all of our heart. And we preach the full counsel of God. Not, we don't skip over the parts that are hard. We know we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and that's it. We're all sinners. We all fall short of glory. Anytime you get two sinners together, there can be a problem. Did you know that? Because we're sinners. But you know what? The common bond is Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15. This is the third time I quoted it. Paul says, I give you a message of first importance that Christ died. Christ was buried. And Christ is risen the third day according to the Scriptures. That's as simple as the Gospel gets. But if you really make that commitment and really believe that He is risen and you've asked Him into your heart, your life will be changed because you've been hit with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit will change you as it did me and most of you or all of you here that I know of. So, it's a beautiful thing to know God. We've been preached the full gospel. So today, we are in our fourth week in Matthew chapter 8. In Matthew chapter 8. Now, I'll go through some of the things we already went through a little bit into the message. I'm shocked myself, <laughs> you know, take three or four verses and just capitalize on them. But as I've been studying this time, and I've taught through Matthew before, but this is, this is completely different. From the beginning chapter, from chapter 1 till now, the Holy Spirit has just compiled all this, this information upon me. So we're going to dig in to chapter 8 of Matthew and we're going to the 23rd through the 27th verse. And let me read them to you before we begin our study, which is Matthew 8. I'm reading from the New King James Version here. 23 through 27. When... Now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose, rebuked the winds and the sea, 
and there was a great calm. Verse 27, So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Who can this be? That's what I should have named this, this message. Maybe I'll have my wife change it. Who can this be or who is this man? We just saw him do many things in, in the prior part of this, this uh, verse, and I'm gonna, or this book, chapter, I should say. I'm going to go into them in a little bit. Now, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Last week, we learned what a disciple was. We spent the entire message on disciple. You know, I'm glad you're a believer, but God wants disciples. And they're the ones that will follow him. There were a couple guys, you know, the one disciple followed him, followed him out of emotions, and he said, I'll follow you anywhere. He didn't weigh the cost. He, you know, Jesus was heading into a storm, and he knew it. And he probably knew that this guy didn't have what it takes. A disciple has weighed the cost. And in comparison to his love for his family, his mother, his father, his sister, his brother, his children, it should look like hate in comparison to your love for him. Not that you should hate. Jesus was bringing up powerful uh, words to you saying, in comparison to your love for me, Jesus, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, in comparison, it should your your love for your family, which you love, okay, should look like hate because you're so much in love with Jesus. That's hard for a lot of people to imagine, but don't forget when you come to know Jesus, you now know that the the author of love. You, as you sit here without this book, you wouldn't even have the slightest idea what true love is. America only has one word for love. You can love your dog, you can love your girlfriend, you can make love. But in Greek, there's many words for love. There's agape, there's phileo, there's storge, there's eros, and there's even another one, and I forget what that is. Listen, my wife tells me, since she sp speaks Spanish quite fluently, okay, she's, she tells me that she would rather... Talk to somebody in Spanish because it's more descriptive, more powerful. Okay, America's got lost on the word love. They think it's, you know, just about anything. In comparison, Jesus even said, and I brought scriptures up in Luke 14, 33, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciples. Now, Jesus wasn't saying, go sell your house, or don't sell your Mercedes out there. He was saying, in comparison to your love for me, you should be ready to give that up at any given time. God calls you to the mission field or whatever. He's saying, you have to be willing. You are his stewards. You should understand as believers, you don't own a thing anyhow. This world is God's. Even the government thinks they, the United States is Alaska and Hawaii and Puerto Rico and the continental United States. This doesn't belong to America. It belongs to God. Who do we think we are? 
Christ must be first. Jesus even said it, the greatest of the commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And he was using the word agape there, which means unconditional love. I believe my puppy understands unconditional love more than most people. That's really sad. But even Isaiah tells Israel, he says, the ox knows its master. No, the donkey. Yeah, the ox knows its master. The donkey knows its master's manger. But my people do not understand. A dog. A do an ox. And even a donkey. You know, I could, there's another descriptive word for a donkey I could use. It would really power pack that. But I'll skip that. Verse 24. And suddenly, a great tempest arose on the sea. I don't know if you know anything about that area. I've never been there. I know there's several of you here have been to, to uh, Jerusalem and the area of the Middle East. But we find out that the Sea of Galilee, which is fresh water, by the way, comes right out of Mount Hermon, I believe, which is to the north, is 680 feet below sea level. 680 feet below sea level. And Mount Hermon on the north shore, and the north of the Sea of Galilee, is actually 9,280 feet above sea level, which means it gets snow on that mountain. So what happens when the winds whip through the crevices or through the valley, and the cold air, it's the warm air, you know, it can cause that sea to roar up really fast. So quickly, I remember me being on Lake Erie with my boat, you know, and, and the waves would whip up so fast that I'd get the boat in to put it on the trailer. I couldn't even get it on the trailer because it's just slopping all over the place because the wind has just come up. Now, this, this was, you know, maybe three, five-foot waves. I don't know, the Sea of Galilee probably experiences a lot bigger than that. I read J. Vernon McGee's. He said that they could be 25 to 40 feet. That's from the front of the wave to the back of the wave. I didn't know that. I thought it was this way, but it's from the front to the back. So it can get, it can get really bad, and it can get bad really fast. And that's what happened here. The Lord knew that he was heading into a storm. He's trying to. He's going to teach the disciples through this, and he's going to teach us through this. This storm was so bad that it even terrorized the disciples. Now, when you think of the disciples, five of them were fishermen, and they fished Sea of Galilee constantly. We know that James and John's father fished on the Sea of Galilee. And Peter and Andrew, we know that they did. They fished the Sea of Galilee. They knew this water. They knew what could happen. They're scared to death. This was a violent tempest. So what do they do? Four, five, four, five professional fishermen, because one of the other disciples was a fisherman. Five professional fishermen Go to a carpenter for help. Now, that doesn't sound logical, does it? 
You know why? Because they, they were just beginning to learn who this man was. They are just beginning to learn. The boat's covered with waves. Jesus is in the boat. The boat's going up and down. The waves are flying into the boat. Jesus is resting in the back of the boat, sleeping. It didn't bother him one bit. It didn't bother him one bit. See, you know the reason why? Jesus knew his time was not up. He actually trusted what the Father wrote, what, what, what the Word of God said. He knew that his time was not up. He's secure in his Father's plan, which was he was coming to earth. He had to teach. He had to heal. He had to let everybody know who he was. And he had to die a specific way. And it was not his time, and he knew it. He's showing his humanity here. Jesus also in this. Some people say Jesus wasn't a man. There's cults out there that say Jesus never never was incarnate. It's 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 impossible. The scriptures speak against that all totally that like I said in in Hebrews 10 I believe it is a body was prepared for him. Listen. He's tired. His humanity is showing. He's exhausted. He was ministering. We just saw what he ministered to. We saw that, that he also called himself in the New Testament the Son of Man 80 times. 80 times he called himself the Son of Man because he was the Son of Mary, Son of Man, and he was also the Son of God. And he wasn't 50-50. It was 100% man and 100% God. I know that goes against your arithmetic. But I'm sorry. The scriptures speak to it. And anybody could do it. It's God that can do it. We see his humanity. He's tired. He's exhausted. He calls himself son of man more than 80 times in the New Testament. Yet we see his deity coming up. Yet we see his deity. Because in the first part of this chapter, which we spent four weeks in just recently, we're going to see now the fifth miracle. There's actually 11 miracles in Matthew 8 and Matthew chapter 9. And if you count the things where he healed all, I believe there's even more than that. He healed all that were believing. He cast out demons for many people. There's we're, he's just recording five of them. Now, five of them so far, we're going to have 11 by the time we're done. Really, we have the first credential. As we told you, a miracle is a supernatural activity that illustrates a spiritual truth. So what was the first miracle that, that uh, Matthew records? It's he healed a leper, a man full of leprosy, said Dr. Luke. He heals a man of leprosy. And in the Old Testament, leprosy was representative of sin. It was one of those things that, um, you know, that like, like sin is, when desire or lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. That's what leprosy does. It just grows and just, it, it'll kill you in the end. It'll blind you. 
It'll take your limbs off, your fingers off, your toes off. Jesus heals this leper. Credential number one, his ID. What does this miracle illustrate? You know what it illustrates? His deity, who he is. The disciples in 27th verse are going to say, who is this man? Even after they saw him heal a leper. While the whole crowd was going, oh, he touched the leper. They, he, he healed them right there, and they were shocked. And that's, that's miracle number one recorded in, in Matthew. And it points to his identification, his ID. He is the Messiah. You can go to the scriptures, Isaiah 53. You can go to Isaiah or Psalm 22. You can go in Isaiah, many other chapters and many other chapters and verses to find out what the Messiah was going to do. You could go to Daniel. It's all recorded there. Miracle number two, we saw him heal the centurion's servant who says in, in Luke chapter 7, verse 2, that this man's servant, this centurion's servant, was on his deathbed. Jesus doesn't even enter the house. He heals him from a distance. So what does that miracle show? It shows his deity and identification. He doesn't even have to be there to heal you in, in uh, Alaska today. He doesn't even have to be there in present body form. He can be here and in Alaska at the same time. That's his, his miracle is he has authority over a distance. Nobody else that I know has that kind of authority. Credential number three we saw already, Peter's mother-in-law who had a great fever. He actually speaks to the fever and rebukes it like it has an identity, like it has a personality. He rebukes it, a fever. So next time you have a fever, rebuke it. Just see and have faith. What does that illustrate? That he has... His deity, his identification, he has authority over something like a fever or an identity. Credential number four, they brought all to him, and he was casting out demons with a word. And I mentioned, I think that word was go. They knew who he was. Those demons know. We're going to see that next week. No, I might go to a Christmas message next week. I'm not sure. No, I won't be there next week. Uh, I'll be here, but um, somebody else is teaching. But a week after that, I'll probably do a Christmas message. But then we'll jump into when Jesus cast a demon out of two demoniacs. What does, okay, what does this heal? He, what does this identify him as? That he has authority over things in the world above the world, and below the world. He has authority over big things, small things, little things, leprosy, demons. Do you know, and I mentioned it many times from this pulpit, in the Old Testament, Satan himself is only mentioned like 15 times. 12 or 13 of those times, no, 12 of those times is in the book of Job. Okay? Another time was Zechariah, when the devil stood there accusing him in the 
the Lord was there. In two verses, I think it's verse 1 and verse 2 and verse 3. Three verses. And then we're told that David was, was tempted or the devil told David to number the, Jerusalem, the fighting men of Israel. That's it. But in the New Testament, these demons who were in heaven at one time, now they recognize who Jesus is because they saw him because for a time they were holy angels. But now they're unholy angels. But they knew who Jesus was because they saw him. He's the Son of God. So these demons knew when he said go, they had to go. I don't know what Jesus would have did. Maybe send a legion of angels to escort them to the pit. The pit? I don't know. Credential number five is here. He now has authority over creation. Who do you know has authority over creation? You could tell that that earthquake to stop. You could tell that hurricane that's going to destroy California to stop in its track, and it'll stop. Because that's what Jesus did. He didn't redirect it. He stopped it. Miracle number five, what manner of man is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. That's a question for everybody out there over the air, even in here. Who is this man that has power over creation? Genesis 1.3 says, And the Lord... And the Lord said, let there be light. Who was speaking? Jesus. The Father's in the first verse. The Holy Spirit's in the second verse, moving her over the water. And Jesus is in the third verse of Genesis chapter 1. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right off the bat in the, in the Bible. So those people that say there, aren't, there isn't a Holy Spirit and Jesus doesn't exist or he never did exist. Listen, you better... Pay attention to the first three verses of the Bible. So what's the miracle? His credential is he has authority over wind and sea to stop it. To stop it. These, these miracles thus far show you his identification as Messiah of Israel. Do you know... Some people, I even read, I read commentaries before I put this together, that some, some scholars believe that this storm was demonic. You know why they said so? And I'm going to give you some points. There are six times in the New Testament that they tried to kill Jesus. And maybe this is the seventh time. Number one was Matthew chapter 2, 13. The angel told Joseph to leave Bethlehem because Herod was going to try to kill the baby. In Luke 4, 28, 29, Jesus is in his hometown and they rose up against him and took him to the brow of the hill to throw him over, but he just walked right through the crowd. You know, he knew his time wasn't up. He knew in his boat his time wasn't up. So he could rest in the Father. Matthew 21, 38, the vine growers, the scribes and the Pharisees, the parable of the vine growers, the scribes and the Pharisees said, 
hey, this is the son. Let's kill him and we can take the inheritance. Well, to kill Jesus. Jesus was pointing to them wanting to kill him, and they did. In Matthew 26, 59, the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus that they might crucify him, have Rome crucify him. Matthew 27, 20, it's actually, you know, the whole vine grower thing comes to life because the whole council kept trying to to uh, obtain false testimony against him. They kept on trying. This wasn't the first time. This was at least the second time they tried to do this. In Mark 14.35, the chief priests and the whole council again tried to get uh, put him to death with false testimonies. That was what he came for. He was coming to die, but this wasn't the time for him to die. He was going to die and rise again a specific way. As you know from reading Psalm 22, you know from reading Isaiah 53, and you know from even Daniel's gospel, or Daniel's uh, Bible, or book, I should say. There was only one specific way he was going to die, and he could rest in the Father with this storm. If this storm was demonic, he could rest in the Father. His time was not yet. At the appointed time, God gave his, his son. Matthew 8:25 Then the disciples came to him and awoke him saying, "Lord, save us, we're perishing." Listen. These fishermen, professional fishermen, going to the carpenter, they know this is bad. And they're saying, "Lord, save us." But Jesus is asleep, resting. And they had to go wake him. Now, that's a sound sleep, when you can sleep like that. My question to you is, where do you go when the storm arises in your life? Where do you go? If you're a believer, the first place you should go is to the Savior. It's okay to call your doctor. It's okay to take your vitamins. You should go first to the Lord. Because you can do that instantaneously. You can wake up with a sore throat and go to the Lord like that, but you have to call and make an appointment for your doctor. Do you know where to go when storms arise in your life? These fishermen knew where to go, and they knew this was a bad, bad storm. You, me, do not have the ability to stop or quiet a storm But we know who can. And that is what the disciples did. They knew. And these first four miracles before that, they were actually addressing, they were actually being addressed to the followers of Christ and especially to the disciples that they might know who he is. Because in the 27th verse, I read it to you and I quoted it twice. So the men marveled saying, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? This isn't the first time it happened. He came walking on the water one time. But, you know, when you see a picture in a painting, it's usually he's walking on a calm sea, but it's not. The, the, uh, the Sea of Galilee is all reared up again. He's walking on the waves. Now, how do you do that? 
Does he, he walk on the bottom wave and then walk up to the top? I don't know. But listen, only God can do that. That he, he didn't level it or it would have been recorded. There was a storm going on. Or maybe right around him, it was calm. And he was walking right through it like you'd go through a tunnel in a mountain. I don't know how it happened. But he goes and says, here's what Jesus says after he's awoke, Oh, you of little faith. This was a mountain for them. They were about to die. They thought for sure they were about to die. But they, So what do they do? They go to the, the carpenter. Because they knew there's something different about this man. You know, when I was a little eight-year-old boy, I was in front of my house. My, we, my parents and I lived on a, a main street. There's Route 8 coming out of the city of Pittsburgh. I remember when I was about eight years old, when, when, the, when the traffic went in, you know, you couldn't park on the road. And when, when the traffic came out, you couldn't park on this side. Well, it must have been after 4 o'clock because I'm leaning up against the wall at my parents' place, and I'm about 8 years old, and I just, the traffic, both lanes were going, and they were stopped for the red light, right up the road, and uh, I thought to myself, Jesus was different. Now, the church I attended obviously taught about Jesus. I didn't know all the things I do now, but I knew one thing. This guy was different. He was different than the average human being I knew when I was eight years old. And I wanted to be like him. I knew he was special, and that's what's happening here. They knew that Jesus was special. They saw things happen that they'd never seen in their life. And some of you probably have seen miracles in your life. Go to him in the next storm, or if your storm's going on now, you know what? I'll bet you these fishermen were glad Jesus was in the boat. And I'll tell you what, when you're going through the storms of your life, be glad Jesus is in your boat because you know him as your Savior. For those that don't know Christ as their Savior, I can't even figure out how they can walk through this life unless they're all, it's all about them. They can do it. Their, their pride is so heaped up, their, their head can't even get out the door. And I know people like that. I'm related to some of them. Be glad Jesus is in your boat because he promises in chapter 13, he'll never leave her, of Hebrews, he'll never leave or forsake you. He's right there. You've asked him into your heart. He's right there. And if you haven't asked him into your heart, he's still right there, but he's waiting for you to ask him in first. Jesus is in their boat, and they could ask him, if he's not in your boat, you can't ask him. So, since you know he's not in your boat, ask him to come in first into your life, and then he'll help you with the storm. Relax, in other words, for all of us that are going through trials right now. I woke up last night about 3.30. I couldn't go back to sleep because of within the family. Just trials going on. I mean, some of the things... That my children do, I'm amazed at. Not being raised like a Christian. Disrespect. Lack of love. I couldn't sleep, so I got up and studied this more. And went to bed about 5.30. 
you got to remember to wake him. Relax and wake him because he's in your boat if you're a believer. There's some things about storms we need to know, and i got some several points here. Here's some things about a storm in your life. Storms cannot separate you from God. Storms, they cannot separate you from God. I am with you always, says the Lord. Even to the end of the age. I am with you always. That means he never leaves you. If you're a disciple, that comes from the, 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 uh, the main verse, the commandment of the Lord. You go, therefore, and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I had one skeptic one time says, see, that's why I don't fly, because as Jesus said, lo, I'll be with you always. I'll tell you what, I don't care how high you're flying, Jesus is there. Storms remind us of God's ownership to whom you belong, because you run to him in a storm. No matter how big your problem is, they're still smaller than God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that. Daniel knew that. Knew that. Moses knew that. If I didn't say Daniel, he knew that. Paul knew that. Peter knew that. Greater is he that's in you and he that's in the world. Remember I gave you an illustration one time? The average fish is at the bottom of the Mariana Trench, seven miles deep in the ocean. We can't even get a submarine down there in the South Pacific because after four miles, the, the water in the submarine would just, the weight of it would just crush the sub. But there's fish down there, seven miles down. Why? I'll tell you why. Because greater is the pressure in them, fish, in those fish, than the pressure outside the fish. Do you see that? So greater is he, Jesus, in you than whatever comes against you because it's not greater than the God who lives in you. The Lord's hand is not so short that he cannot save and no, short, not short that he cannot hear either. The Word of God tells us that in Isaiah. Heaven's his throne, the earth is his footstool. Who can build him a house? He's here, and he's at planet Pluto at the end of our, our sun. I think there's another couple ones out there, but I don't know who they are or what they are. He's at the end of the universe. He's at the Milky Way galaxy. He's in the... In the, the the Orion stars, he's there. And God promises, if you humble yourself before him, you, him, he'll look to you. To he who is, to this one I look, he who is humble, constrained of spirit, and trembles at the word. I remember when I was in Vietnam, I got one of them little Gideon Bibles that the army gave me. I don't even know if they give them out anymore. But I was in Vietnam, sitting there, reading my Bible, and I'm going like this. I knew, gee, I wasn't saved at that point, but I knew Jesus was somebody special. Just like when I was eight years old. It took me until I was 27 to realize it. I'm a slow learner. 
Storms serve to adjust your priorities. Now you want to serve people instead of take from them. Because even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. Some more things about storms. There's storms that you can't hide from. They're there. The disciples couldn't hide from this storm. They were right in the center of it. There was no way out except one way. And he was in the boat. You know, there's only one way out of this earth to get to heaven. And that, that way is Jesus Christ. There's only one name under heaven by which you much must be saved. There's only one mediator between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way to heaven. I'm the truth and I'm the life. I'm not lying to you. And you can have eternal life in my name. So you got the way to heaven, the truth he's speaking, and the life, eternal life you get. Praise God. You know what? You can, you can hide from them, I guess, in the way if you, if you follow Psalm 91.1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the mighty. You can hide in the shadow of the Lord, but the storm is still there. And it cannot affect you if you actually believe it. Even in the bad times, when there's storms gone, are there, he's always with you. Storms, you can rebuke some storms. I've rebuked things in my life, and they moved out of my way. And I do it when I get a sore throat. I rebuke it. And you know what else I do? I gargle. <laughs> do something in this world that you got to do. If I tell you what, you know what I gargle with? You find it in toothpaste that you buy. You know what it is? Hydrogen peroxide. It'll foam up in your mouth. But I'll tell you what, it'll kill all your germs. And it'll stop a, a sore throat in its tracks. I've had it happen. And of course, I went to the Lord first. Sounds bad, doesn't it? You can go online and figure it out. My, my wife sent me a thing on hydrogen peroxide, all that it does. There's like 15 things, hydrogen peroxide. It'll even take away the, the junk on your toenails. You could do it, soak your feet in it for like you know, 10 minutes a day or something like that, and all kind of other things. And you know what? I used to know a dentist. He's with the Lord now. But I t he said to me one time, he says, well, what do you brush your teeth with, Pastor Joe? And I says, I brush it with a toothpaste that has peroxide in it, and then I gargle with peroxide. And he, she, she goes, you're a smart man. Uh, that's the first time everybody called me smart. <laughs> but, you know, he knew that. He was a dentist all his life. And when he died, he was like 85 years old. So he was a dentist a long time. A lot of you know the guy. You can rebuke a storm. Go to the Lord. Rebuke it. This storm must have had an identity. I don't know. Jesus actually rebuked it like he rebuked the fever. He's actually the creator. He can do that. Storms. There are storms that you must endure. Ephesians tells us to take up the whole armor of God so that we're able to stand in those storms. So, you know, there's storms that, 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 that we have to endure. 
2 Timothy 2. I love this. This is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Therefore, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. No one engaged in, in warfare, one version says active warfare, no one engaged in active warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. I love that chapter. There's like five or six things. You'll be an athlete, be a farmer, be a soldier, be a teacher. The chapter's floated with good stuff. Listen. You're a soldier of Christ. You might have to endure the storm, but you can you can you can live through it because greater is he that's in you than he's in the world. You heard the fish story. There's storms that reveal your weaknesses. We we find out. He shelters us in the storm. Some of the times. He doesn't shield us from the storms. The storms come and they can they go in our lives. But he shelters us in the storm. So you can have the joy of the Lord in the storm. You know what joy is? Somebody gave me the acrostic. Jesus, others, you. Put Jesus first. Put others second, just like Jesus said, and you're third. That's you are now the servant. There's storms that create a willingness to be with Jesus. Because in John chapter 6, when the storm was raging and Jesus is walking on the water, he told them, it is I, don't fear, and they invited him into the boat. So if you're having storms out there right now, and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, invite him into your boat, into your heart, with all your heart. Don't check a, make a head gesture, oh yeah, I, I believe, I believe, no. Heart. God wants your heart. He even told Samuel, when you're looking for the king of Israel, don't look at the outward appearance. Look at the heart. And we find as we read through the scripture, David had a heart after God and he did horrible things. He had a heart. You know what? I love Job. Many of you just pass this passage up. Job chapter 4. Elipaz, one of Job's, uh, what could I say, friends or so-called enemies. I don't know what you'd call them. But Elipaz was the youngest. He was the fourth, by the way, not the third. Elipaz, the Temanite, answered and said to Job, I'm going to go to the third verse, Surely, I'm going to, I'm going to interject Job's name where it should be. Surely, Job, you have instructed many people. And you have strengthened weak hands. Job, your words have upheld him who was stumbling. And you have strengthened feeble knees. But now, Job, trouble comes upon you, and you're weary. It touches you, and you are troubled. Is not your fear of God your confidence and the integrity of your ways your hope? Then he goes on and says, and you need to remember this. Remember now, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the upright ever forsaken? 
beautiful words from this young guy that knew Job. Beautiful words. Not all of his words are that beautiful, but he's telling Job, you're in a storm right now. You can weather the storm. You told other people that they could do it. Now you do it. That's what he's saying. And then he backs it up. When has anybody ever been forsaken by the Lord? When has anybody ever been cut off if you're an upright person? And what makes you upright is not that you don't lie or you don't swear. What makes you upright is the righteousness of Jesus Christ in your life and Him alone. There is none righteous. No, not one. He saved us, not as on the basis of the deeds you have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by washing and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Man, beautiful things. Storms create a willingness to be with Jesus, as we found out. Storms cannot separate you from God. We already looked at that one. Storms remind you of God's ownership. You belong to God, church. You belong to God. If you would protect your children, how much more would God protect His? Simple things that we don't even think about. Life is not about finding yourself. It's about recreating yourself. Storms and I love this one, comes out of First, uh, Second Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Storms serve to adjust your priorities. They do. You know, my friend Leaf, and I mentioned him a long time, he went with the Lord about two, three years ago. I even went to Calvary Fort Lauderdale and did part of his funeral, his memorial. He was my best friend. He was best man in Liz and mine's wedding. And he passed away. But, I ran into him at Cancer Care, a ministry at Calvary Fort Lauderdale. And as soon as we, we met, we clicked. And Leif was about 6'2 and about 10, 7, 10 years older than me. And we just clicked. He had leukemia about 25 years before he passed. And he had to walk through this storm. God didn't heal him instantaneously, but God told him that he was going to heal him. And about three years later, he spent three years with bald head and, and uh, weak and in wheelchairs traveling to Calvary chapels all over the United States. Went to Costa Mesa, Chuck Smith, you know, uh, uh, John Corson, uh, other people, you know, in that faith and in those churches. And he came home and he started the cancer care ministry at Calvary Fort Lauderdale. And I met him there. And this was his favorite verse. Let me read it to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that... here, well, Here's why. You know why He comforts you in all your afflictions? So that you will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. His priorities were flipped over because of this storm. 
he flipped over. It wasn't about him anymore. It was about encouraging those that were in the cancer care ministry so that they might know they have hope in Christ. He was a living witness. I went with him many times visiting people that were dying, and some died and some didn't. But as soon as Leaf walked in the room, because they knew his testimony, as soon as Leaf walked into the, into the bedroom or the hospital room with him, and I was with him many, many times, as soon as he walked in the door, their eyes just went, Poo! They just glowed because they saw somebody that God healed. And they had hope. Hope. And like I said, many died. Some were, some were healed for a time and then passed years later. You know, there's so much more. I could go for another half hour here. But I don't think I can. I will. Uh, let me end with this. The safest place in the storm is with Jesus. That's all I got to say. Never take your eyes on Jesus, off of Jesus. Here's what one quote. The devil is clever, devising, deceiving us all. He is cunning and causes the strongest to fall. But we, his sly methods, are sure to discern by making God's warnings our daily concern. True, isn't it? For those of you out there, you, you have a question in your life. You've been, who knows how old you are, five, 105? You might be saying, who is this man? I hope you got an idea who he is now. Because we have, we're on miracle number five. We have six more to look through. And if you can't figure out that Jesus Christ is the Lord, he's the Messiah, you are deadly and deathly blind and, and lack of hearing. Jesus Christ is Lord. There's no way around it. His credentials point to him. I only went through five of them, and we got in these, next, these two chapters, 8 and 9 of Matthew, we got 11, 12, and if you count the ones where he healed all, we probably have hundreds. And you're wondering who Jesus is? Where's the followers of Alexander the Great today? Or Julius Caesar? Where are they? You know what? They're in the grave, just like their, their, their leader. We happen to be in the grave. We're in the same grave that Jesus rose from, and we're going to rise up ourselves. Because you're dead to yourself. You were crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live. It's Christ who lives in you. So every time you make a move, you must know that they're looking at Jesus in you or not looking at Jesus in you. You want them to see Jesus because you're a son and a daughter of the Most High God. Some storms are for your correction. Like Jonah. He went the other way when God told him to talk. I mean to, to go to Nineveh. He went the other way. God corrected him. Didn't he? Spent three days in a grave 
inside of a great fish. And God corrected him. And he went to Nineveh, and Nineveh repented. Jonah was sad that they repented. I don't know about you, but I want the whole world to repent. 150 years later, Naaman went through with the same message, and Nineveh didn't repent. A few generations later, Nineveh was back to the same place. Remember, for your generations that follow, because they could be in a bad place, because you repented, but they may not have. Keep your eyes open and reveal to them who Jesus is and remind them there's only two options. They can receive him and repent, or they can reject him and die eternally. Not a wise choice, so receive him. If you're out there and you need to receive Christ, just ask him into your heart with all your heart, not your head, your heart. Confess your sins. Repent of your sins, which means turn away from them. Get rid of those things that are wrong, and you know what they are. And bow your head and give your heart to Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Amen and amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Father, for your son, Jesus, Father. What would we do without our gracious Savior? We love you, Lord, with all of our heart. I pray that the world knows you, Lord. Father, we bind back the devil trying to keep them from hearing what the Holy Spirit has to say. And we loose the Holy Spirit in their life that they might know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And to you be the glory. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. I love you all.